the Pharisees ask, this question is a question that everybody has to ask. Amen. You remember this is a question that Jesus asked. Jesus asked his disciples. He said, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Amen. He said, who do the people say that I am? And they said, some said John the Baptist. Some say uh, Elias. Some say one of the other prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? Now, Jesus was asking who they thought he was. But now the Pharisees are asking, who are you? And this is a question that we all have to ask. Who is Christ? What has he done? Why is it that I have to put my faith in him? Amen. And he's going through this discourse with the Pharisees. And as he does, we're going to point out several things that are of utmost importance for us. Amen. That's what a pastor's job is, to point out these things, to teach you guys how to, first of all, defend your faith, share your faith, and then walk out what it means to walk in faith. Amen? That's pastor's job is to teach and equip, to rebuke and correct, to train. Amen? That's what the Bible says anyway, all the, all the things that a pastor's supposed to do, right? He said exhort and teach with all long-suffering and doctrine, right? Be an example, right? I don't know how a pastor can be an example of being in the Word and expect their church to be in the Word if they're never in the Word and never learn how to read the Word. Amen? So why do we do the things the way we're doing them? So that you learn how to study your Bible. Learn what it means. Amen? So we're going to start at verse 13 where we left off last week. Uh Right here, the Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto him, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I come and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh. I judge no man. And yet, if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bears witness of myself. And the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. And then they said unto him, where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, you should have known my father also. These words spake, to, uh, spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him, for, he, for his hour was not yet come. Then Jesus again said unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me. And ye shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then Jesus said to the Jews, uh, or excuse me, then the Jews said, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, You are from beneath, and I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. 
I said therefore unto you that ye should die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus said unto him, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. And they understood not that he spoke to them of the Father. Verse 28, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak those things. And he, sent, he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed upon him. Now as we start this, I want to pray. And I want to ask God to bless the reading of his word. That we might truly understand what Jesus is saying. And we might truly put it to practice. Father God, we ask that you would help us this morning as we have parsed out these scriptures, Lord. And as we continue to delve into the depths of the meaning of these scriptures. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that would receive this message today. God, let your spirit move upon us. Let it change our minds and, and mold our hearts and shape our thoughts towards you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, Jesus and the Pharisees have had this discussion before, okay? And they start out in verse uh, 13 with a, uh, a discussion that actually was had back in Matthew, or in John 5, excuse me, he says, the Pharisees said unto him, thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true. In other words, hey, you're the only one saying these things about you, then and it can't be true. Why are they saying that? What's the point of verse 13 and 14? You can, you can put verse 13 and 14 together because he says, Jesus answered and said unto them, though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I come and whither I go. But ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. What does he mean by all this? Okay? What does all this mean? First of all, he's telling them one thing. The Pharisees trying to question him on the authority of his testimony. Okay? They're saying, hey, you're the only one testifying about yourself. And the law says that you have to have at least two witnesses. And that's where they're going in this conversation. That's exactly what happens in just a couple verses. I believe verse 17, okay, is where we're going, where he's defending the fact that there are two witnesses, he and the Father that sent him, amen? And there's also a multitude of other witnesses that we've already talked about coming through John, amen? Number one, you had John the Baptist, amen? John the Baptist testified before a whole crowd, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Amen. And then John again told two disciples to go and follow Jesus when he said it again. Behold the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. 
He's telling them unequivocally, this is the Messiah. You're supposed to follow him. John the Baptist testified of Jesus. Let's just think about all the other people who have testified about Jesus up to this point. Amen? Think about it. You've got the wedding supper of Canaan where water was turned to wine and all of his disciples believed upon him. Amen? Think about it for just a moment. The man that was lame for 30-some years at that pool of Bethesda. Amen? That man who later on Jesus found him and said, Look, go and sin no more so nothing worse happens to you, right? That's what he said to him. What about Nicodemus who came to him at night? Who eventually comes and takes up Jesus' body with Joseph of Arimathea. They take his body to be put into the grave. And according to church history, Nicodemus was a devout believer in Christ after the resurrection. What about that woman at the well who got the whole city of Sychar to come up? To a well to meet the Messiah that was to come. You see, Jesus gets into this conversation, and, and when they ask him the question, Who art thou? What does he say? I'm the same person that I've claimed to be from the beginning. From the beginning of what? From the beginning of his earthly ministry. He is not hidden the fact of who he is. He said it plainly. He said it boldly. I and the Father are one. Amen? These words that he's speaking in this, just think about it. Unless you believe that I am he. Who? Who's he? The Messiah. The, the prophet greater than Moses. The, the soon and coming king. The, the, the Messiah that would save Israel from their sins. Unless you believe I am. He. I want you to focus in on those words, I am, because this is a motif in John's gospel that just doesn't go away, that Jesus is not just a man, that he's not just a prophet, he's not just a good teacher, but he is God. He was in the beginning with God, and he was God. Amen? This is a falls into the line of all the I am statements that are in the book of John. I am the bread of life. I am the bread from heaven. What is I am the good shepherd. I am the door for the sheep. Amen? How about this? Before Abraham was I am. How about you go flip over to the book of Revelation and understand that he's Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. He's the first and the last, the Almighty One. Amen. This is the revelation of what's happening right in front of these men. But the problem is, dead blind men don't see anything. 
of the spirit because the spirit is at war with the flesh and the things of the flesh can't understand the things of the spirit that's the bible i'm gonna read it to you but these pharisees continue an argument with jesus that they started back in uh, John 5, and I'm just going to go back there for just a moment. John 5, 31. And I want to read just a few uh, words, and these are Jesus' own words. He says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. So these are Jesus' own words, and he understands the accusation that they're making. Oh, you're, you can't, you're just testifying of yourself. And that's not a true testimony. Why? Because a true testimony, you have to have two witnesses at least. Right? Now watch what Jesus said. There is another that bears witness of me. And I know that the witness of he, uh, the witness that he witnesses of me is true. Ye sent unto, uh, ye sent unto John, and he bore witness to the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but those things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater, a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And you remember when we went through this, we went through several things that bear witness of Jesus. First of all, the word of God bore witness of Jesus. The father bore witness of Jesus. Remember when he was baptized, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Amen. The John the Baptist bore witness of him. Jesus bore witness of himself. The works of Christ, the very works that he did fulfilling scripture testifies to who he is. Born in Bethlehem. Amen. Born of a virgin. Amen. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Amen. Called a Nazarite. That's why he was in Nazareth. <laughs> he was to proclaim the gospel to all of the Gentiles, which is why he went to Galilee. Come on, somebody. He was fulfilling the word of God before their very eyes. So we already have just five witnesses. And let's just not talk about all the other people who come to the understanding that this Jesus is the Christ. Peter, who do men say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That woman at the well I heard that when Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things whatsoever we've done. And Jesus looked her right in the eyes and he said, I who speak to you am he. Some people who say, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah of Israel. That's a lie. Go read where he looked right at that woman and said, I am the Christ. Amen. I who speak to you am he. The requirement for multiple witnesses can be found and established as true in Deuteronomy 17, verse 6, in Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, 
and Numbers chapter 35, verse 30. The Old Testament law was very clear that you had to have two witnesses for a thing to be true, all right? A testimony in court, in a court of law. You couldn't just bring the testimony of one person, right? So in Deuteronomy, let's go read Deuteronomy chapter 17 just for a second. We only got one verse. We might as well go read it. Might as well get our mind wrapped around that this is an Old Testament prescription. And I would venture to tell you that this goes right into the New Testament. And I can prove it when we get there. Deuteronomy 17. And we're going to read verse 6. Deuteronomy 17, 6. At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death, but at the mouth of one witness shall he not be put to death. Do you see that there's a prohibition against taking the testimony of just one person? So you can't just have one person make an accusation and that accusation cause judgment to fall upon somebody else. Amen? Now, Jesus is talking legalistic terms when he comes into a courtroom in the, in the Jewish land. You had to have at least two witnesses. Nothing could be established on the testimony of just one person. Okay? There's a reason, if you put your mind around this concept, that Jesus sent his disciples out to by two. They were what? What were they doing? He breathed upon him and said, you shall be my witnesses. Right? So he breathed on them. They went out two by two because the testimony of a thing cannot be established by one witness, by one testimony. You have to have at least two. Therefore, he sent them out two by two. How about this in the book of Revelation? At the end of time or whatever, however your eschatology goes, the reality is there's two witnesses. What are these two witnesses for? Because they're to establish the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel in the end times is the reality that you need two witnesses. Nothing can be established on the testimony of one witness. And this is the accusation they're bringing against him. Hey! You're only one talking about yourself like this. And he said, oh, 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 hold on a minute. What about the father? What about the fact that you heard him say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? What about the, the woman at the well? What about that guy that got healed over there? Right? Because remember, he's in Jerusalem, and it's these same people who saw that man for 30 years laying by the pool of Bethesda, and they saw him get healed. Amen? And they're the ones that got upset that Jesus did it on the Sabbath and they tried to trap him with that little trick, remember? Understanding that this uh, two witnesses is established in the Old Testament, you can also look it up in Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, and Numbers chapter 35, verse 30. It explains it. New Testament. The New Testament's not different, okay? For, for all of those that say, it, look, in the New Testament, everything still has to be established by two witnesses, okay? And I want to tell you this because I know we have a whole lot of spiritual people in here. 
just because I think God said something to me doesn't mean it's true. Because it can't be established by just one witness, even in the church. And I'm going to show you that in 2 Corinthians, okay? In the church, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, every word that came out of the mouth that was prophesied, that was spoken in tongues, was given and received by two, at least two witnesses to say, that's from God, that's right. If only one person, you had to sit down, be quiet, hold your peace. Amen? That's what it says. I'll show you. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, verse 16. I'm going to show you that this two witnesses is definitely a New Testament concept. This is Matthew 18, verse 16. 18, verse 16. I want to start at verse 15 so we can have a little context, okay? Matthew 18, verse 15. I'm going to start at verse 15. Verse 16 is the one that we really are looking for. Okay. Moreover, if thy brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he heareth thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Hmm. Now I want you to notice this. Verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as the heathen and a man, uh, as a heathen man and a publican. Now this is in regards if my brother has sinned against me and I go and try to make it right with him now if I can't make it right with him then I can't then just go and go to the church and go oh he, he wronged me he done, he done this wrong he done that wrong I'm supposed to go get two or three witnesses why? because I can't establish a charge against him without two witnesses even in the New Testament you see this? Now let's go to another place. Like I told you, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. shall every word be established. Notice that this biblical concept has carried through even through Deuteronomy, even through Numbers, and here into the New Testament in Matthew, and now we're seeing it again in Paul's own words. Amen? So Jesus said it. Paul's saying it. Why? Because it's a fact. It's a fact of Christian life. Let's talk about this. Go with me 
to 1 Timothy chapter 5. If, as soon as you get there, say amen. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now this one's very important because a lot of people are really quick to bring a leveled charge against the pastor. People are really quick. Yeah. People are really quick to lay a charge against a pastor, an elder in the church. Now we're going to look at this in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19. Okay? It says, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. So in other words, there has to be two or three people that are saying this thing or they're not doing it right, okay? Now, I'm going to turn it around for you and I want you to understand this. Anybody that's bringing an accusation against someone you know, someone you love, someone, and they're the only ones saying it, they're the ones in the wrong for even talking about it. Now it's called gossip. Now it's called backbiting. Now it's called slander. Okay? We should, not, we should not be doing those things. Amen? Slander, backbiting, gossip are things that we should not be entertaining. Amen? The Bible says, let your yes be yes, your no be no, and, and only let come out of your mouth what's good to build others up. Amen? To edify them, right? <clears throat> but when people are, people nowadays especially, they're really quick to lay charges against the elders of the church, but they won't even look at their own sin. They won't even look at where they're wrong in the scriptures. They won't even uh, take one second to see how out of bounds they are in what they're saying. But they'll say something about that preacher. Yeah. Take the moat out of your eye. Yeah. Take the beam out of your eye before you go try to take the moat out of the preacher's eye. Amen. Yeah. Take the moat out of your eye before you go try to. And pastors in the same way. We need to understand. Take the log out of my eye before I go down there in the pulp uh, in the pews and try to take the speck out of my brother and sister's eye. Yeah. Gossip, backbiting, and slander are the results. Of not actually following the biblical principle of having two witnesses. Amen. Amen. Now, Jesus lays this whole thing not on his, his uh, right to do this. Or that he's so great. Look at what Jesus says, okay? Why does he say that even if I testify myself, my testimony is true? Look at what he says. Verse 14, Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know where I have come from and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Why is he saying that? He's trying to tell them, look, you don't know who I am. 
You don't know me. You're making accusations that are, uh, that are false. You don't even know where I've come from. And this is evident in several ways. Number one, they didn't even know where he was born. Right? Last chapter, they kept saying that he was born in Galilee. Right? They kept trying to act like he was born in Nazareth. And we know that's not where he was born. He was born in Bethlehem in Judea which is where the prophet was supposed to come, which is where the Messiah was supposed to come from. Amen? So, so in a realistic sense, he's telling them, you don't even know where I'm coming from. Okay? But in a more spiritual sense, they don't even understand who it is they're talking to. They don't know that he's from above and they're from beneath, which he gets into at the end of this uh, discourse. Amen? This is exactly his exact words. It's all, I'm from above and you're from beneath. <laughs> Amen? You're of this world. I'm not from this world. Amen? So he's telling them unequivocally, look guys, you're not qualified to even be laying a charge right now because you don't know where I'm coming from and you don't know where I'm going. Now this confuses them, okay? But I, I wrote a note down here, and I want to read it to you. When he says that you don't know where I'm coming from, and you don't know where I'm going. In other words, his witness is from an exalted place, a place above everything else. Amen? Look at verse 23 in this chapter that we're going to get to in just a moment. He said to them, ye are from beneath, and I am from above. Ye are of this world, and I am not of this world. Surely, the Lord's ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So too, his witnesses and his testimonies are much higher and purer and truer than ours. Amen? The reality is Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And Romans chapter 11 says that his ways are beyond finding out. Amen? Verse 15. He tells them unequivocally, You, ye judge after the flesh. What does this mean? Very, this is a very pointed statement. Ye judge after the flesh. A lot of people say, oh, that just means he's judging naturally. They're just judging from the natural side or a natural vantage point, okay? The, the, the actual thing that's going on here is they're judging from a fallen human state. Because they don't have faith in Christ, because they don't believe in who he is, because they don't believe on him to be the Christ, they are in their fallen state and they're dead in their trespasses and sins. And Romans chapter 8 verse 7 says that the carnal mind cannot understand the things of God. And these men are judging godly things from a natural vantage point. So Jesus looks at them and says, you're judging after the flesh. You're judging from a natural fallen state. And we talked about this in chapter 7 where he was supposed to tell them, judge righteously. Amen? 
the last half of this, he says, I judge no man. Now, this is a big statement because Jesus, in his first incarnation, amen, Jesus, when he came and took upon himself human flesh, did not come to judge the world. Amen? John chapter 3, verse 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Right? The son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen? John 6. 39 and 40, this is the will of God, that anyone who looks to the Son and believes will have eternal life. That's what he came for in his first incarnation. So when he says, I judge no man, that's not saying I'm never going to judge any man. Because we know the opposite of that to be true. That when he comes back again, he will come to judge the living and the dead. He'll judge all men everywhere. Amen. And as a matter of fact, even though he didn't come to judge all men, the fact that he came absolutely caused division and judgment because those who believed were not condemned. But those who didn't, those who believed were not condemned. And those who didn't believe were condemned already. Amen. So his statement is saying, I didn't come here this time. To judge, I came to save. Amen. In his humiliation, he was not here to judge. He did not come to judge in his humiliation, but come to save. When he comes again, he will judge all men. Amen. Now, verse 16, or uh, seven, uh, yeah, 17, excuse me. I think I skipped verse 16, but we'll look at it anyway. Verse 16, he says, and if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. Now the implication there is that I and the Father are together. Amen. That he's come to do the will of God and knows the will of God. Amen. He said, if I judged, my judgment's true. Why? Because me and the Father are one. We're together. Amen. Verse 17. He says, it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. Now he's getting to the point of answering their question. Amen. Because they started out with, you're testifying of yourself. And that's not a true testimony. But he's about to give them the evidence that they need to believe upon him. Okay. Now watch this. He says, in your law, it says that the testimony of two men is true. What's he say in verse 18? Verse 18, he says, I am one. Now watch this. I want to show you something real quick. He's counting the two witnesses. Who's the two witnesses that he's counting? Himself and the Father. Amen? Isn't that two? I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm bad at math, but one and one is still two. He says, I'm one. And the Father that sent me bears witness of me also. Amen? Now, verse, uh, verse uh, 20, or 19, excuse me. They ask him another question. They said, well, where is your father? And Jesus gives them a coded answer. But he says, 
Ye neither know me nor my father. If you would have known me, you should have known my father also. Now, I got to read this note that I found in, in the Reformation Heritage Study Bible because it is very good. He says, those who do not know Christ as their Savior cannot know God as their Father. Period. End of story. That's true. How do we know that's true? Well, 1 John 2, 23. Go with me to 1 John 2, 23. I want to make you aware of this uh, tension that is building in modern day Christianity is we don't have to accept Jesus the way you do to, to really have a relationship with the Father. But that's not what Jesus teaches. Jesus says you either believe I'm the, I am he who's, who was to come or you don't. Amen? Now watch this. 2 verse 23. Whosoever denieth the Son... The same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Jesus telling them, you don't know me, neither do you know my Father, is a very plain statement that says, if you don't believe that I'm the one that he sent, then you don't even have my Father also. You can't know him without knowing me. How, what, you want another Bible verse for this? John 14, amen? What does it say? I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Amen? The reality here is Jesus is telling them, look, you guys are saying that you're children of Abraham and that, that God is your father and you, Abraham's your father and you're going to, you're already part of the kingdom. But the reality is, if you deny me, you don't get the Father, you don't get the kingdom, and you're cast out. That's what he's telling them. <coughs> Point blank. You can't have the Father and reject the Son. You either accept Christ as Savior and Lord, and God becomes your Father, or you deny Christ, and God is your enemy for eternity. That's the reality. Verse 20, very simple, he says, These words spake he unto them in the treasury, as he was teaching in the temple. But no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Now I want to tell you this real quick while we're going through this. The treasury, where was the treasury at in the temple? Nobody knows, right? Anybody know where the treasury was at? So, the way the temple complex worked was like this, okay? We'll call it the front door, okay? The front door of the temple, you walked into what was called the women's court, okay? Now, you got to understand, the court of the Gentiles was outside of the women's court. They couldn't even come into the temple complex. They could only stay out in the court of the Gentiles. So, a Gentile believer never, ever, 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 ever got to see his offering be put on the altar, ever. Okay? Even if he was a proselyte or, you know, a believer, a Gentile believer in Yahweh, he, he could only go in the court of the Gentiles. He could not come into the temple complex at all. There was a wall that separated them. Okay? The women had a court. 
right when you walked in the front door, the great big court, the women's court. They couldn't go into the holy place. They had to be in the women's court, okay? Now, the women's court, there was a great big doorway, and you could see right to the altar where they burnt the offerings, okay? So they could see into the holy place, okay? Now, in the women's court, there was boxes. They looked like trumpets, okay? There was 13 of them in this room. And there's a story that Jesus told, or, or a, a parable, or Jesus was sitting there watching when men come in to give their offering in the treasury, okay? And then a widow come in with her two little mites to put it in the box. Remember that story? And he said, she's given more in her poverty than they did in their wealth, right? That's where this treasury is. There, there was boxes lining the walls of this big rectangle courtyard, okay? And then you had the holy place where the men who were going in to offer sacrifice, okay? But the giving of monetary money was given in the courts of the women. Okay, so Jesus is in this court teaching in the temple. Amen? Now watch this. It says, no man laid hands on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. What hour is that? Well, we all talked about this at length, okay? The hour of his suffering. The hour when he was to go to the cross and die for the sins of the whole world. Amen? That hour. His hour was not yet come. And so we don't want to get mistaken. Oh, no man laid hands on him. They weren't trying to lay hands on him to part no gift. They were trying to lay hands on him to kill him, to take him, to seize him. Amen. Verse 21. I want to get here. Uh, then he said unto this, uh, then Jesus said again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and ye shall die in your sins. Now I want to tear, uh, I want to put this all together, okay, because this is, this is hard to parse this whole thing out without all the context, okay? So we're going to keep reading. He says, you're going to seek me, and you shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. And they said, where is he going to go? Is he going to kill himself? You see, in the Jewish culture, if you killed yourself, suicide was, you would be put in like the worst part of Hades. If you killed yourself, right? It was a, a mortal thing. So they're thinking, is he saying that he's going to uh, kill himself and so he's going to go to hell and we can't follow him there? How arrogant are these Pharisees, first of all, that they just assume that Jesus is talking about killing himself and they're so righteous they never will end up in hell. You're running in real danger when that's how you think about yourself. When you think, oh, I'm in no danger of splitting hell open. I'm the, I've told people this before. The moment that you think you have arrived, the moment that you think that you're perfect, you're probably farther from God than you've ever been in your life because a real, true, born-again Christian is abhorred by their sin. They know that there's things in their life that they have to work on. They know there's things in them that they're warring against. But the pompous and the heady and the high-minded think of themselves as have already arrived. It's interesting that Paul, toward the end of his ministry, says, 
not that I have obtained, not that I have arrived, not that I have obtained these things, but I press on. Why is he pressing on? Because there's a, still a war inside of him that he's still fighting. Any Christian that's not fighting against their sin, look, look I'm going to say it like John Owen said, if you're not out killing your sin, sin is killing you. You need to be waging war against sin in your life. This Pharisee is so pompous and so sure of himself that he would much rather think that Jesus would split hell wide open because, oh, I would never go there. You see that? Oh, yeah. That's right. That's exactly where Jesus goes with this story, too. Watch this. We're going to keep reading it. And I'm going to close really quickly here, okay? That's exactly where Jesus is going with this story. That's exactly where he ends up, okay? That's exactly where John ends this story. Now, watch this. He said, uh, verse. Whether I come, whether I go, you cannot come. Uh, he said, they said unto him, will he kill himself because he saith, whither he goes, he cannot come. And he said unto them, you are from beneath and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. And I said, therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. This is important. Then they ask, who are you? Verse 25. They said unto him, who art thou? And he said unto them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you. But he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spoke unto them of the Father. Then Jesus said unto them, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak those things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I always do those things that pleaseth him. You see how it went just where you were going. Jesus is saying, look, first of all, you can't come where I'm going because you're still of this world. What does it mean to be born again? We went through this in John 3. It means to be born from above. Amen. It means to be born of the spirit. It means to be born again. Be born like he is. Amen. We're to be like him. That's what he came to do. We're being transformed by the renewing of our mind into the image of him who loved us and gave himself for us, right? But that's by faith. By faith in who he is. Notice that he puts the emphasis here. Uh, how are they going to die in their sins? You're going to die in your sins if you believe not that I am he. Amen? That's why they ask him, well, who are you? We're supposed to believe that you are he who's he. The I am. That I am. 
the Messiah, the one that was in the beginning with God, the one that was God. Amen. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Christ. Once we understand that this is who we're talking to, this is who we're questioning, this is the one that's questioning us. But there's a problem with these people, and I want you to see it. Verse 30 says, he spake these words. As he spake these words, many believed on him. You see, the problem with this is that what follows shows that they truly, really didn't believe in him. They believed something about him, but they weren't in love with the real Christ. They weren't really born again. A real born again person is going to persevere through the things that God has done for them and in them. Amen? I want to read a verse. I want to read just a, a smidgen here. In uh, Reformation Heritage Study Bible, it says this, to believe on him. What follows shows that this is not saving faith that these people possess, but a mere intellectual belief without love for Christ as their Savior. He says in the very next verse, watch the very next verse, verse 31, and I'm not going to expound upon it any more than this. Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Amen? Because there's many who say, Lord, Lord, that aren't really knowing him. Yep. Who is this? Christians. Yep. These people of these Christians. Yep. God right now. The people of the world are saying that stuff. Who is he? Who is he? Open up your eyes. Pray for the eyes to be opened. Mm. The ears to be opened. Listen. Listen. People are telling you about Jesus. They're going to tell you who he is. Right. You know who the real God is. You don't have to be so dumb about it all. Just listen. <laughs> well, here's the thing. And I want to get to this. This is where I'm going to end. The reality is. Those people aren't asking because they really want to know who God is. They're asking for several reasons. Number one, to, to put doubt in your mind, to spin lies in your mind that cause you to question your faith. And number two, they're doing it out of arrogance because this is what really boils down to people who believe in Christ and people who don't. People who don't said... Lord, who are you? I need you. The world who asks the same question to us, who are you, God, to tell me what to do? And that's really the spirit of what they're saying. Who are you to tell us that we're not going to be able to come where you are? Who are you to tell us that we're going to die in our sins? Who are you to tell us that we are not part of Abraham's family. See, that's the attitude that they obviously had. Because, yes, it says they believed on him. They believed on him mentally, 
they could accept that Jesus met the qualification of two witnesses. But they didn't really believe in their heart that he was this Messiah that came to save them. You see, they're dying in their sin not because they didn't believe that there was two witnesses. They're dying in their sin because they didn't believe he is the Messiah whom God sent. This is evident throughout the rest of this chapter. When we read it, you're going to see their responses. You're going to see how they again question Jesus in a way that is not of faith, in a way that's not really seeking God, but only in a way to trick him or to trap him into revealing something to them that they can charge him with. The book of John, every time he has conversations with the Jews or the Pharisees, the Pharisees or the Jews never come to him earnestly, actually seeking a savior. They only come for religious jealous motives not really seeking to be saved amen the problem is this man still didn't understand this pharisee still didn't understand that he needed this savior amen who is christ christ is the savior of the world who came to liberate men from sin and death amen what men are those? Every man and woman is in sin and in death right now outside of Christ. Period. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 None do good. No, not one. None is righteous. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Who needs saved? Everybody. Who will be saved? Only those who believe that he is this Messiah. Amen. The point to this story this morning, when they ask, who art thou? They're not genuinely asking, who are you? Are you the Messiah? They would have did what that woman at the well did. I know that when Messiah comes, I want you to do a, a, little, a little study on your own and go look at how Jesus approached tax collectors, harlots, and sinners. How he openly showed himself to them, openly told the woman at the well, I am the Messiah, but here. He seemingly speaks in parables to these religious people who think they're already going to heaven. Amen, amen. Well, and that exact you're exactly right, because every person that's lost is trying. They don't even know that they're doing it, but they are working to suppress the truth. Amen. That's what they're working for. Exactly. That's right. That's right. 
So what's the, what's the answer? What's the answer? Believe. Amen. Believe. That's the answer is believe. You must believe that I am he. Amen. So our message is not, hey, you all are lost and dead and dumb. Our message is believe on him. Amen. Our message is not the message of the Pharisees. It's not the message of the Sadducees. It's not show me, prove to me. It's believe on Christ and you'll be saved. Amen. Jesus tells them you're going to die in your sin. And this is what it's going to be for. Because you don't believe that I am he. Amen. I could have easily titled this. Believe that I am he. Amen. That's the message. Believe that Christ is. Is what? Is the savior of the world. Is the good shepherd. Is the door of the sheep. Amen. He is the bread of life. He is the fountain of living water. That's what we believe. That's what, the, that's what they're missing. The Pharisees are stuck in all of their jargon and all of their legalism. And they can't see the plain truth. That they are rejecting the son of the very God they say they believe in. And in rejecting the son, they have been rejecting the father. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son into this world, not to condemn us, not to judge us, but to save us. And Lord, all those who do believe can rest assured that we will not face the judgment of God. But Lord, we pray earnestly for those who claim they do not believe, who actively and purposefully wage war against God. We pray, God, that you would change their hearts, that you would turn their lives around, that you would meet them right where they are, God, that they would come face to face with this Savior, Jesus Christ, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt like that woman at the well of Sychar, that this is the Messiah that was to come. Lord, I pray that those who have heard this message today take one thing away from it, that they need to believe that Jesus is he whom you have sent and that we need to put our faith in him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.